Welcome to the Risk and Repeat Podcast, episode number 132. I'm Rob Wright, Editorial Director for Search Security, and I am here once again with my site editor, Peter Lotion. Peter, welcome back. Hi, Rob. How was your Thanksgiving? Pretty good. It's been a while since you and I have been in Chernobyl. It has been. I'm glad to have you here. I'm glad to be back. We're, we're talking about a subject that I think got you a little fired up. Um, yes. Is that accurate? That is that is correct. We are going to be talking about today biometrics, biometric authen- uh, authentication. And the reason we're discussing it is because our colleague, senior reporter, Michael Heller, uh, wrote a story last week, right before Thanksgiving, about an interesting research paper that was published by some academic researchers at New York University Tandon and Michigan State University, I believe, were two of the schools. There's a lot of people on this list. But they wrote a research paper called Deep Master Prints, colon, Generating Master Prints for Dictionary Attacks via Latent Variable Evolution. That's a mouthful. But I will describe it as succinctly as I can, because it's really kind of amazing. Uh, researchers, these researchers, developed machine learning, uh, a, a machine learning method that generates synthetic fingerprints, fake fingerprints, which they call deep master prints, capital, capital D, capital M, capital P, that can spoof biometric scanners, that can fool them, and could be used to launch like practical attacks that would beat an authentic, a, a biometric authentication system like a, you know, uh, like like Apple's for the iPhone. So one of one of the stories that I saw about that yes. indicated that these that these deep master prints are successful one in five attempts. Mm. Is that does that sound right? Because because that's pretty good. Uh, I don't know if it was that high, according to the paper. <laughs> At a, I'm quoting now, at a 1% false match rate, the generated deep master prints can spoof 77% of the subjects in the data set. Well, that's even worse. That's, that's worse. <laughs> and that's just in the data set. Yeah. So basically, the way it's described in, in the paper and, and also makes story this group, they started working on this a while back. They were researching uh, uh, partial fake fingerprints, which they called master prints. And it was sort of focused on the fact that fingerprints scanners, they, do, they don't really scan the entire thumbprint. They, they scan a section of it. Uh, just the part that touches the sensor and that they, f- they focus on these, l- these points. Like, so it's not, a lot of these biometric scanners, they're not actual, they're not taking a, they're not matching your thumbprint to what they have on file. They're sort of, they, they sort of focus on these, uh, these points, like a constellation. Right. And, and if I understand it correctly, that's more or less how fingerprint identification works in real life, where they look at, they look at features of the fingerprint and they match. And if 
you have 10 or more matches of different attributes of the fingerprint, then that's, consi- or, I, again, I'm not an expert. I don't know. I just remember what I've, what I've read about it in the past. But, yes. but that's how they, they don't do, they don't like do a, uh, an overlay of, the, of, of your fingerprint with a master fingerprint that is stored somewhere. They, yeah. they, they check the different pieces of it. Yeah. And if they get a match on 10 or 12 or however many a- aspects, then they say, this is you or this is not you. Yeah. And, and to be sure, this, that's not news. I mean, there, there have been stories about fingerprint scanners, whether it's Apple or, or other devices or other systems out there, um, occasionally being fooled by, or, or not fooled, but occasionally letting someone else access a device other than the user because because of this very thing, the way they focus on a partial print of the user and the way they focus on, uh, and the researchers describe it as, um, quote, ridge endings and ridge bifurcations of an actual fingerprint. And they just map these points. So they're not, they're not taking the full fingerprint. They're not even really looking at a fingerprint to fingerprint ID, they're, they're taking those, like I said, a constellation, a mapping of those points. So it's not very, <laughs> it's, it's not a surprise that there would be uh, an occasional error through these systems. But, but this goes next level. These guys are out there going, what if we just took, uh, you know, use some machine learning algorithms, or I think they, they even say AI, but you know, the AI versus machine learning and what is real AI discussion for another day. Another time, another day, another Chernobyl sitting. Uh, and they said, why don't we just generate a bunch of deep master prints and see if we can use like see if we can get close up. So they're not they're not duplicating people's fingerprints. So when I first saw this, I said I said, wow, that's wild that they're just like they're doing this at, at such a rate or generating so many prints that they're actually recreating people's. No, that's not what's happening. <laughs> they're generating completely like junk fingerprints that are not copies of people's real prints. It's not like they're getting lucky. They're 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 pulling the one armed bandit at, in Vegas and they're, you know, they're 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 scoring on the slot machine. They're these are these are true fakes. And they're close enough in the way these points are mapped that they can trick a biometric scanner. So I don't know if the tweet was um, about this particular situation, but I saw I saw a graphic that flashed by me. It was somebody had done a true-false exam or quiz. Yeah. And they wrote the word. Their answer was, if you look at it, well, actually, their answer was written in such a way that it looked like it could either be true or false mm-hmm. because it was cursive and it was not exact. And, and you've seen, I think everybody has seen in instances of, of uh, cursive writing that, mm. that if you turn it upside down, it says one thing. And if you turn it back, it says the other, something else. Or yep. it says the same thing backwards or, or forwards or in the mirror. So these are all things that are, um, uh, it, that's how I think of it. Is that the these finger these master print um, uh, creations are are something that will um, that w- can be interpreted to confirm anything, 
and be, because it's got the power of computers behind it. Hold that thought. Okay. I'm going to read you this portion of the report. Quote, the de- uh, the, sorry, the deep master prints, according to Mike's story, uh, were, quote, twice as good at spoofing the system as a random real fingerprint. Twice as good as just throwing a random fingerprint. That doesn't seem like much, but just hold on. Hold that thought. Quote, this suggests that the generated images display common features more often than the real data distribution. As a sanity check, we provided images of randomly generated noise to the matchers, and they found no minutia points. This means that the generator is not only producing images that look like real fingerprints to humans, but they are algorithmically being identified as fingerprints too. That's end quote. That's crazy. <laughs> okay. Well, like, but, but I mean, I, it's not crazy because when you read it, you're like, oh, obviously, like machine learning, we have the ability to do these things. We knew about this weakness, but the fact that it's being put out in practice and and the researchers have this data now, wow. Well, the the concept of of taking of creating these deep master prints that are that in, that get interpreted universally. Um, part of the reason, and and this is part of the w- this is one of the many reasons why biometrics, especially f- you know in this particular case fingerprints, but any biometric, um, your fingerprints don't give you complete entropy. Right. They give you uniqueness. So you can come close to the unique I- the unique fingerprint if you follow the grammar and the vocabulary of the fingerprints because the fingerprints you have ridges you have whorls you have different uh, structures but there's only a few of them relatively that are combined in many different ways and that's where we get uh, uh, uniqueness but to pivot to a different kind of biometric uh, facial recognition you when you use facial recognition you don't have you, you probably have even less entropy than you do in a well, maybe not. But I've wondered th- about that, though. Yeah. But 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 yeah. Again, it's unique, but it's not. It's not. En- there's no entropy there. Like yeah. you don't have three f- three eyes going vertically down the side of your le- the left side of your face. That would give you more entropy if you could rearrange how your face is is represented. Or if you know, and fingerprints by the same token. If you had, if you have, say, a, a million. Uh, pixels on, you know, or the equivalent of a pixel uh, uh, that you can identify on a finger print, and you can set any one of those million bits either to on or off, then you can put a lot of entropy into your fingerprint. But if you're only looking at 10 or 12 features of a fingerprint, then it's not hard to, to no. come up with, because you're talking in the language of the fingerprints. And I think um, a lot of the enthusiasm behind support for fingerprint uh authentication comes from this concept that we believe that fingerprints are unique to each individual and that they don't that they are that they um, are persistent across your lifetime that's another you know those those both of those statements I I bet that there are people that will say well we're not a hundred percent certain about that but we're pretty sure with some level of of of, uh, there's some level of uh, certainty or uncertainty about them but but was what what is clear is that yeah there, there's not a lot of entropy available to us even though we think that there is and without entropy we don't 
we we are subject to people coming and figuring out a way to to create either a master key of some sort, like these researchers have done, or just to find ways to to morph the you know the input that you're giving to the system to authenticate that will fool that system into thinking that it's been authenticated when in fact it hasn't because because your face you know facial rec facial characteristics are also a, yeah. a grammar and yeah. a vocabulary so just as it's you know we can if you use egyptian hieroglyphics to represent your password that might be more secure but if you use if you allow any uh, any character set for your password then you expand the possibility for entropy, but you also make it a lot more hard to implement. Yeah, obviously. And and, and it's it's unclear to me, reading the research here, how long this actually took them to do. So I don't know how practical this is, but it brings up an important question, which I'll get to in a minute. Because I mean, they're talking about dictionary attacks with fingerprints, the same way you talk about dictionary attacks for, you know, a brute force attack on, um, you know, login credentials for passwords that that's a problem because i mean those things are still used today like uh, dictionary attacks have not gone out of style so if you can if you can launch a similar attack on a biometric scanner again you know you would have to sort of assume that you would have to be in the proximity of the of the physical device the physical scanner to do this i mean there's all sorts of hoops and, and whatnot but that's still chilling, and it makes me wonder: Are we, are we already getting to the point where biometric authentication is is already broken and needs to be fixed? Well, I think the the point we're at is where we're starting to realize that biometric authentication may not necessarily be broken so much as limited in the same in the same ways that password authentication is broken. In that we're we're dependent on on these tokens, you know, these representations, whether it's a fingerprint or a facial recognition scan or a password or whatever it is. But but unlike passwords, we can't change our biometrics. No. So I think that if people recognize that biometrics are inherently limited to being unchangeable or unchangeable. You know, you can't you can't change your face to to uh, update it so that it'll it'll still be strong against an attack if somebody's re uh, got a picture of you or some representation that can pass the authentication. I think that biometrics are are part of the whole authentication uh, uh, equation. So you you know you can have a combination of passphrase or pin and an and a biometric as well right. to identify who you are, sort of to replace your your login ID, because you're you can't you, you can't go around covering your face and your fingers all the time. Yeah, yeah. You're leaving spore all over the place, and <laughs> people can pick up on that stuff. So if you have a combination of a of a I like tokens. I think tokens are great uh, for authentication purposes, but you put a token and a scan and a password or a pin. And you probably are good enough for most applications, yeah. for many applications yeah. uh, that we know about right now. Right. Um, beyond that, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think that the guys at, like, the Fido Alliance and the vendors that are, are part of that are sitting here going, well, you know, time to close up shop and move on to something. 
I think this stuff can still work, especially the FIDO specification. I mean, they've put a lot of work into that and into the way it's used, and it's not strictly just for biometrics. Mm -hmm. But you, you, you wonder the way, and not to pick on Apple, but they are the most, the biggest right now uh, in terms of biometric authentication. They're, I, I, I assume if they're not, if they're not one, the biggest, they're one of the biggest companies out there doing this with, with the iPhone. If, if you go into, like, like if you get your iPhone, you just put your thumbprint on. It's not a full thumb, thumbprint. It's just, you, you just, you kind of, ro you rotate it. You know, they tell you to kind of rotate it, whatever. But it's still, when you apply it to get scanned, you don't have to, every time, like, you don't have to rotate your thumb. You don't have, it's, it's still a partial print. So if you have to sit there and do what you do when you're booked after you've been arrested, not that I've been arrested, but I did cover, you know, cops and courts years ago as a daily newspaper reporter. I've seen, you know, they tell you, Get the ink on it, roll it around, make sure you get the full thumbprint. If you have to sit there and do that every time you want to get into your your phone, this is going to become obsolete. Like people are not going to want to use it. You use it because I can take my phone out right now, put my thumb on it, and boom, it activates. And I think I suspect part of the reason it's, it's that easy is because the vendors have said we want to focus on ease of use we don't want to make this too hard we want to map these points of this fingerprint it doesn't have to be full fingerprint it doesn't have to be a fingerprint to fingerprint picture match we're talking about the mapping points on that that print the ridges and the bifurcations and all that stuff and that's great that's great for usability but you know in five years if we're at a point where you know, you can like a like a threat actor could just go and and start generating their own master prints, committing dictionary attacks, and figure out a way to do them remotely. Yeah. I say five years because I just you know I I put everything sort of five years out in in you know ahead in the future, but it could be sooner. I don't know. I mean, again, I don't know how long it took them. So, well, so. The, the work that they've done here demonstrates that what we've got, you know, that there, there's another avenue that, say, a government can take to getting into your, into all these iPhones that are, that are locked. Um, it get, you know, that's a tool that's, it's valid. It's like, it's like any other uh, a tool for hacking that can be used for good or ill, but, um, the fact that there are these tools that, that uh, adversaries, and by that I include law enforcement in this case, because they're trying to get into a phone, um, they can develop these tools, and instead of having to spend a million dollars on a on a hack on a cracking tool or a or whatever it is that the FBI uh, bought, which we still don't know, you know, a few years, a couple, of, three years ago, um, to get into the um, into the iPhone of the uh, San Bernardino shooter yeah. from back in 2016 was, was it? Was that 15? I think maybe 15. 15. Yeah, but but so so there, you know, there's an, a situation where um, law enforcement could use something like this and it and it and it all there's an auto white feature, but yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, yes. Um, but it but it, it it adds another uh, piece to the puzzle where 
uh, the defenders, Apple has to come up with a way to make their security solution stronger because if a, if a, a government can do this, then an APT um, that's or, or some other malicious actor can also do it. And once the, they do it, then there's a then all of a sudden instead of people not being worried about having their iPhones stolen because they're locked, now people might find that it's a lot easier to unlock a, an iPhone that's been stolen. So that's not a positive development. That's not great. I, I think I think it just goes back to the, you know, you have to, you can't, there's no shortcuts to security. There's no way, you, you can't say, well, instead of having a 20-character fully random password, we're going to allow you to use your thumb to log in, and that's going to be just as strong. Well, now we know that it's not going to be just as strong going no. forward. It's going to be about the same. Yeah, and you, you, again, you wonder about what's the threat model for this? You know, how would how would threat actors employ this? But then you think about like how valuable your device is. I mean, so much of it goes through our phones now. Security. I mean, mm -hmm. two-factor authentication. I know we we're deprecating SMS, and we're not. You know, we're not supposed to use that anymore for two-factor authentication. But think about your authentication apps. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, those are on your phone. Your phone is a conduit for so much of not just your personal security, your enterprise security, but your identity. And if someone could get a hold of that device, and you think, oh, you you know, someone got a hold of the, the device, they don't know my passcode, and they don't know, they're obviously not me, so they can't use, you know, they can't just use a thumbprint. What if they could? And and what does that mean for, you know, your security posture, not just from personal perspective but for the enterprise when so much is on your phone so much your phone matters that that mobile device matters it's so impactful and yeah I, I have to think that at least some enterprising quote unquote uh, uh, threat actors cyber criminals and obviously nation state attackers and when we know governments uh, state sponsored threat actors threat groups already look at the, the paid a lot of attention to, to the device and exploiting things to get on a person's device and crack it for whatever reason. But you think about like cyber criminals and what they could do if they really put their their mind to it, their their uh, their effort and their their resources behind it. It's it's not a great situation. I mean, kudos to the the research team. These guys, I, I, I encourage everybody to read not only Mike Heller's news story on this, but to read the paper as well. I mean, it's very technical, but they're going to lay out sort of, look, this is how the system works, and this is how we beat it. <laughs> and it's really not that hard. So I encourage people to read it. It's it's fascinating. So uh, a little depressing uh, as well, I guess, Peter. Sure. No, well, shrugging. I mean, as long as we, uh, it, it, it's a job creator. Yeah. So... I, I d yeah, I mean, I think this is going to spur hopefully some vendors to look at like changing the way we do biometric scanning and authentication, and say uh, we got to be more forward looking and and start to adapt to something like this now. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, I mean, having an unsecure or or having your your fingerprints be vulnerable to this kind of attack is is uh, much worse than having your password compromised because you can't change. You can't ever I mean, change I, it. I, I can't stop saying that. No, <laughs> you're right. I mean, it, 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 I would say you're beating a dead horse, but I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of dead horses out there, and they're they're being trotted out around the track. Yeah. 
That's right. That's a terrible so, analogy, but you know, yeah. maybe we'll just call it here. <laughs> um, Peter, thank you for joining me in this uh, this discussion. It's good oh, to have you back. Always glad to be here. And thank you to the readers and listeners of Search Security. I'm Rob Wright, and we will see you next time.